well, I don't remember what grade I was in. It was third, fourth, fifth grade, somewhere in there. But I was very interested and invested at recess in the game of wall ball. Now, wall ball is very complicated, of course. Uh, you throw a ball at a wall. And, you know, there's some ricochet effects and a few rules and principles which are largely disputed because it is such a simple game. So there's much interpretation with the rules and tempers tend to flare high. But I can see it today just like it was then, the south wall of Zia Elementary, the gray brick. And in the course of events, a new kid at our school named Cody became angered at the direction of the game one day and for some reason proceeded to bite me on the hand. Now, I don't remember how I responded in the moment, but after recess, I spoke to one of my favorite teachers ever, Mrs. McBride. And Mrs. McBride was one of those teachers that just had the common sense that you would hope for your kids. You know, she just, no nonsense, and she just took care of business. Uh, she was from Kansas, uh, a prairie girl, and she just, she was great. She was a science teacher, and she did not mess around. And she said, Ryan, what happened to your hand? And I said, well, Ms. McBride, uh, I got, you know, bit during recess playing a little wall ball. And she said, who did it? And I said, well, you know. And she said, well, what did you do? And I said, well, I don't know. I kept playing wall ball. And she said, well, I'll tell you what I would have done. I'd have punched that kid in the face. <laughs> and as I read Isaiah this Advent season, and neither shall they learn war anymore, I realize that the playground is the place that I began to learn war. And then, of course, there were junior high fights. And then there were high school fights and high school rivalries that we used to justify fights. There were men fighting over women and women fighting over men and women fighting over work and men fighting over politics. And so we are far from surprised now at the fighting in the news. We are far from surprised now at the fights in the school, at fights in the Middle East, at the beheading of hikers in Morocco. And in one sense, I know nothing of war. I live in a peaceful place, in a time of great security. My children do not wake up to bombs or to the sound of AK-47s. And what a blessing. But in another sense, no one, none of us escapes war. The killing continues. We hate and we murder our brothers with pills and guns and speech. And we kill ourselves with pills and guns and speech. And we don't have to look very far to appreciate the author of Genesis' assessment of things thousands of years ago when he said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil all the time. And so it remains today obvious that no one is capable of bringing peace. 
or achieving a worldwide pervasive ceasefire. We cannot achieve what we spend our lives longing for. And it is from this place of desperation that we hear the news. That in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what this sort of greeting might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The good news to and through and of Mary interrupts our school fights and our chaos. And I wish that guy were dead. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and he will reign forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. God's idea, God's power, God's work. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. The second and sometimes third Sundays of Advent belong to John the Baptist, the wilderness preacher who ate locusts and honey and preached a gospel of repentance, that the kingdom of heaven is near. The fourth Sunday of Advent very often belongs to Mary, a teenage girl in the city of Galilee called Nazareth. The chosen one, the favored one, but why? Why was Mary chosen? Why was she favored? Why is she the answer to our prayers in the midst of discord? Why? Well, Mary bursts out in a song which Amberly read for us during a visit to Elizabeth's house. And if we turn our attention to this song, we get a pretty good idea why Mary. The song that we call the Magnificat, which is the first word of the song in the Latin translation, captures Mary's heart. It captures Mary, Mary's heart in part because she's exclaiming what she knows best in her heart, which is the story of God. She bursts out in Scripture, in Psalms, and in something that sounds like Hannah's song so many years before hers. You know, we all break out in spontaneous song at certain news. My kids make fun of me all the time because I just make up songs that have no meaning or reason behind them. I'm just as likely to sing about the Christmas tree and the mail and, you know, whatever we had for lunch as I am anything. But not Mary. When it came time to sing the song that would define her, this is what she said. My soul magnifies the Lord. 
my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This weaving together of the Psalms and a claim of what God had done in her and for her. For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, his servant. The Greek word is doule, servant, slave. He's regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, just as when Mary prayed before, let it be according, you know, to me, according to your word. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. I am the doule of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, O God. She sings, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She spends the first few lines of the song singing about what God has done for her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. And then she goes on to say how God has not only been faithful to her, but he's been faithful to all of his people throughout generations, specifically to those who fear him. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's put down the mighty from their thrones. And it's after every major statement, there's sort of this parenthetical statement that follows in the poetry of the song. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and, and then over here he has exalted those of low degree. Mary, a handmaiden of the Lord, servant of the Lord, low degree. And those are precisely the ones that God has chosen in his wisdom, not just then, but through all time to exalt. This song is a capturing of the reversal of the gospel. We see it throughout the pages of Luke's gospel and all the others for that matter of how God in his wisdom is raising up the humble. Those who fear the Lord, those who sing this song, God is exalting them. And those who have no need for the Lord, those who are self-sufficient, those who are out just trying to do it on their own, the mighty are knocked down from their thrones. She's singing this song in the midst of a time when Herod was the ruler. Herod and Caesar win the day. And that's all the headlines have to say about anything is Herod, Herod, Herod. And this is what your life's going to be like. This is what defines you. And Mary says, my soul rejoices. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Because as mighty as Herod is, the mighty one is mightier. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the next sentence, he has sent the rich away empty, implied those that, that aren't hungry at all, those that don't long for anything, those that aren't looking. He has helped his servant Israel. He's remembered us in his mercy. God has not forgotten us, and we don't forget him. And as he spoke to our fathers, as he spoke to Abraham, he has spoken to me. Here I am, servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. Mary, the disciple, par excellence. Mary, the peacemaker. Blessed, said Jesus, are the peacemakers. Because in the end, we know this in our bones. We do, in fact, possess the promise of peace. 
For now, it arrives in pockets. Blessed are the peacemakers. The true disciple is a peacemaker. And the true peacemaker is a disciple and a disciple maker. As disciples of Jesus in the servant school of Mary, we carry peace into the discord of darkness, into the darkness of our time. We bring peace to those troubled by demons, frustrated by jobs, on their last string of patience with their family, or struggling to make ends meet. We bring peace in the name of Jesus. For now, peace arrives in pockets. And finally, ultimately, it arrives with force and power and judgment with the return of Mary's son, who sits on the throne of David, who speaks the final word one day on every matter, and neither shall they learn war anymore. Peace arrives, but it does not come without cost. It does not arrive with a let's all just get along. Rejoice, we sing. Rejoice, for Emmanuel has come to thee. Satan and radical evil have met their match in a teenage girl bearing the Son of God, giving birth in Herod's world the sign of peace and the destruction of evil once and for all. So the good news of Christmas always calls, always hearkens to the last things, where through the virgin birth and a manger and later a cross, the last prince standing, where no power rivals, no power persists, but the power that at first breathed life into my lungs and into your lungs and spoke this universe into existence. And so this Christmas, may our gifts and our stories and our songs and our hospitality and our grief and our reconciliation be worthy of Christ. May we believe like Mary. May we proclaim the mighty works of the mighty one, just like she did. Maybe even with gifts, maybe even with cards, with welcoming a stranger, the orphan, the widow in our midst. In the name of Jesus Christ, the powerful Prince of Peace. Amen.